As you survey the scriptures, you'll note that Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel give us some of the historical details surrounding Jesus' birth. It tells us about the shepherds and the angels and and the visit of the angels to Joseph and Mary beforehand. You see an ordering of events. Finally, Jesus is born. The shepherds arrive much later. The magi arrive. You get the historical details from Matthew and Luke's account. What you get from John's Gospel is unique and different. What you get from John's Gospel is a theological reflection on the birth of Jesus Christ. You get a theological reflection on what has happened with the advent of Jesus. John begins his Gospel by telling us Jesus' identity in all eternity. Because Jesus is the eternal Son of God, He did not go by the name Jesus in eternity. In eternity, the time before His advent, the Son of God was known as the Word of God. And John very carefully tells us that the Word of God always was. That the Word of God was with God, and the Word was God. Now, just as a little bit of a sidebar, if you've ever had Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, John chapter 1 is very important. Uh, You have in John chapter 1 the declaration that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, was God. Jehovah Witnesses deny that. Their own translation renders it, the Word was a God. But then you go to verse 3. And you see a consistency with our rendering. Through Him, through the Word, all things were made. Any exceptions? No, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So the Word was God, and the Word was responsible for everything that came into existence. All of creation came from the work of the Word, who was God. John goes on in verse 4 to say that the Word was the light of men. We say, Jesus Christ, light of the world. John's declaration is this, He was the light of men. The Word was the light of men, shining in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So the Son of God came to earth. He was the light of the world. He was the light of the world in a world full of darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend the light that had come. John goes on to describe in verse 10 how Jesus was in the world, a world that he had made. Jesus was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. Now I think many of us read that. And many of us think, well, how in the world did they not recognize Him? Especially as Jesus became a man, as He began to do all those miracles, water into wine, lepers healed, lame made to walk, walking on water, stilling of the storms. How did they not understand the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes, the raising of the dead? How did they not get that this man was not merely a man, but that he was the Son of God? Wasn't it obvious? Why didn't the people of Jesus' day recognize him? 
I don't want to judge those who did not recognize Jesus too harshly. I don't want to, I don't want to judge those people too harshly for a couple of reasons. And the first is this. Jesus appeared in an unlikely manner to unlikely people. Jesus appeared in an unlikely manner to an unlikely people. He was born to whom? He was born to a peasant girl when we might have expected him to be born to a princess. Jesus was the son of a carpenter when we might have expected him to be the son of a king. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths when he was worthy of the best silk linens. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough for animals when we might have expected him to be in a crib within a palace. Consider also to whom the angels appeared, to whom the angels announced the birth of Christ. They did not appear to the nobility. They did not appear to be esteemed in society. They did not appear to government officials, to the prime minister, or the president, or the emperor. The angels didn't even appear to the religious. They didn't appear to the priests or the prophets. But the angels appeared to lowly shepherds to the lower class, to the ceremonially unclean, to the poorly regarded shepherds. This is to whom Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared in an unlikely manner to an unlikely people. And as a result, many simply missed the significance of Jesus' advent to this world. Many did not recognize Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Word of God. They did not recognize that the Son of God had come to make His dwelling with them. The second reason why I don't want to be too hard on those who didn't initially recognize Jesus, the second reason I want to offer is much more personal. I don't think we recognize Jesus when He is among us. I don't think we always recognize Jesus when He is among us. Well, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? It's true that in a strict sense, strictly speaking, Jesus is no longer physically present in this world. But what we learn in the New Testament is that Jesus continues to live among us spiritually. He may not be physically discernible to our senses, but He is, according to the New Testament, spiritually present. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, frames this reality for us in a number of ways using a number of different metaphors. For example, in 2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul says that those who've come to trust in Jesus are now the aroma of Christ to the surrounding world. Christians are the aroma of Christ to the surrounding world. I could create a whole sermon just out of that statement because as we survey our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you might say that we smell differently differently 
in a spiritual sense. We can see in some instances that yes, as I interact with this person, with this Christian, I sense the aroma, the fragrance of Jesus is obvious. But maybe in another person, we think, boy, they stink. They, they, they don't smell at all like Christ. I don't know why they go to church. They don't sound like Christ. They don't look like Christ. They don't smell like Christ. So while we admit that there are varying levels of fragrances among us, what remains true is God's intention for the Christian person. And God's intention for the Christian person is the same. That we would have the aroma of Christ. The fragrance of Christ as we go about our business in this world. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. And this is, this is important. Paul says that God has made Christ's light to shine somewhere. Paul says that God has made Christ's light, Christ's light to shine somewhere. He says it's to shine in our hearts. What an interesting perspective and what an interesting transition from John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we find that Jesus came to the earth and Jesus was the light. But then Jesus died. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's no longer physically present. So how does the light of Christ continue to shine. He came to this earth, he was the light of the world, but now he's physically gone. How does the light continue to shine? According to Paul's testimony, God's design is for the light of Jesus Christ to shine through his people. The light of Jesus Christ is to shine through his people. But here's the thing. I don't think the light of Christ always manifests itself in predictable ways. I don't think the light of Christ always manifests itself in predictable ways. When the light of the world came to this earth 2,000 years ago, the light came in an unlikely manner to an unlikely people. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see that pattern repeated in our day. As Paul comments elsewhere, God chose the things that are not in order to nullify the things that are. If this is the case, if Jesus continues to manifest his presence today, and if he continues to do so in unlikely ways and through unlikely people, it is important for me to ask this question. Do you recognize Jesus? To what degree do you detect the presence of Jesus day by day? Do you see him? I want to tell you about a woman from my former congregation in Toronto, Canada, St. Giles Kingsway Presbyterian Church. I want to tell you about a woman named Angela. Angela was one of the most severely disfigured individuals I'd ever met in my life. 
It's hard for me to describe what her face and the structure of her body looked like. She was the most severely disfigured person I'd ever had interaction with. On top of that, Angela was severely mentally challenged. Severely mentally challenged. And she had great difficulty speaking. I could scarcely understand anything that Angela would say. Severely disfigured, mentally challenged, great difficulty speaking, and she lived in a group home, which in Canada isn't uncommon in these kinds of situations. Now, as a result, probably, of all these challenges in her life, Angela had become quite timid and shy by the time I met her. She would scarcely ever look you in the eye, and if even if you approached her to speak to her, she would walk away. She was not used to what we would call normal human interaction or conversation. And so it took me quite a while to figure out what Angela was all about. But as the years went by, I spent eight years with this congregation. As the years went by, I began to notice some very interesting things about Angela. I began to notice that she never, ever missed Sunday worship. She never missed it. People in Toronto, busy lives, cottages up north, all kinds of distractions and options on a Sunday morning. Angela never missed Sunday morning worship. More than that, when Angela showed up for Sunday worship, she sat up front. She didn't want to be in the middle. She didn't sit way at the back. She was front row, or at least the first couple rows. Angela was front and center week after week after week. And then I began to, to pay attention to what she was doing during the hymns. And she was the most zealous of the congregation in the manner in which she sung the hymns Sunday by Sunday. And then I began to notice in this congregation we did the Lord's Prayer Sunday by Sunday. And as I listened closely, even though you couldn't always make out the words clearly, you could hear Angela's voice above all the other voices. There was so much zeal and passion and enthusiasm. Well, one day, one Sunday morning, Angela actually came up to me after worship. And i got to tell you, this is the rarest of things. Such a timid soul. She came up to me after worship. And she said something that I didn't quite get. And she repeated it. And, and you could tell there's some energy behind what she was saying to me. And I think it might have been Allie who came up to me and said, She's wishing you Happy Easter. She's wishing you Happy Easter. And then I watched her in, in this timid, disfigured, mentally challenged woman was going person to person in her own way, full of zeal and energy. And she was wishing every person in the congregation a happy Easter. It was at that moment I finally got it. I'd missed it for years. Jesus was shining through Angela. Jesus was making himself known through Angela. Not just that Easter Sunday, but the more I thought about it, the more I became certain of this. In a congregation in Toronto that was filled with prominent citizens, 
Jesus was shining most brightly and most consistently through Angela. Indeed, God chooses those who are not by the world's standards to nullify those who are by the world's standards. What the example of Angela teaches us and what the birth narrative of Jesus teaches us is that none of us are beyond God's grace. None of us are beyond the reach of God's love. Or to put it another way, every Christian is useful to God for shining the light of Christ. I know I'm repeating a lot today, but this bears repeating. We must all know this. Every Christian is useful to God for shining the light of Christ. And our problem is we tend to look for God in the spectacular. We want a sign from heaven. We want a miracle. We want some marvelous display. Or maybe we just want a powerful sermon or a powerful preacher. When it might be that God's design and that God works best through the Angelas of this world. What I want you to know for certain is this. The light of Christ continues to shine today. The light of Christ continues to shine in the lives of those who possess the Spirit of Christ. But it's not always obvious. It's not always easy to detect. So if you're not paying attention, you might miss seeing Jesus. Just as many did in Jesus' own day. Now I could leave my application there. I could end this message with an exhortation. Pay attention. Jesus is out there. Look for him. Be on the lookout. Pay attention. I could leave you with that application. So that it would improve your chances of recognizing Jesus during your day or your week. But I'd really like to leave you with one other application. Shine the light. Shine the light. Be the one through whom Jesus shines. Be the one through whom Jesus speaks. Be the one through whom Jesus serves others. Jesus, the light of the world, came to the world. But the world did not recognize Him. The light of Christ continues to shine if we will shine it. So shine that light. Shine the light of Jesus Christ for all to see. Shine it in His powerful and precious name. Amen.